This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Um, tell me what prison was like for you. Well, had ups, had downs, and we'll say all arounds. It was just every day. You remember Jerry Tillinghast the notorious patriarchal crime family enforcer, convicted of killing a wise guy friend in 1979 and sent to prison for life. In 1987, Jerry was let out on a furlough to see his 13-year-old son play a game of football. Jerry had heard his son was a good athlete, but he didn't know the half of it. I'm watching them play, and he's passing. He's the quarterback. Then he was playing defense. And all of a sudden, he's got the ball, and he's making a run through a big crowd of guys. I see him bounce out again, and he ran for about a 70-yard touchdown. I'm saying, what the fuck, man? Is this kid the only kid on the team? He never comes off the field. I was proud of him. I was just dominating the game. and uh, This is Jared, Jerry's son. It was like the first time I ever had a parent in the stands, the first time I ever had anybody that mattered to me watch me actually play football or or display my talent. And that talent was starting to piss off the opposing coach. One of the coaches said, "Uh, break 27's legs. And of course, my number was number 27. I look across the whole field, I see my, my dad. The first time he's at one of my games, I see him arguing. I said, what? You take my kid's legs out, I'll take your fucking head off. And I said, I'll punch the shit out of you. I says, I'll talk to him after the game. Everybody's gone. Concession boots are closed. There wasn't a pylon on the field. And dad's sitting at the gateway in. And I'm like, come on, dad, let's go. Come on. And he's like, no, shut up. No, shut up. So... You know, I was like, what are we going to do? We're going to fight these guys, Dad? I wasn't thinking of hitting them or anything like that. I just wanted to tell them that's a bad way to coach a team. Once people will break my kids' legs. Is that how you teach kids how to play football? You know? The coach, he's like, Mr. Tillinghast, I apologize. Uh, you know, I didn't realize it was you, and I'm sorry. And that was that. Two guards loaded Jerry into a van to take him back to prison. Jared watched as his father was driven away. I was like, fuck. What the fuck? Why can't I have a normal fucking life? I'm Mark Smerling. Today on the show, we've got something special. We're heading back to Providence, Rhode Island for a story where crime intersects with sports. So, we've teamed up with the magazine Victory Journal to tell this story. Meet veteran sports writer Tim Struby. Hey, Crime Town listeners. For the past year, I've been following Jared Tillinghast, and I've learned how he's used sports to try and step out of his father's shadow. But when your father's Jerry Tillinghast, that's not so easy. 
I'm Tim Struby. Welcome to Crime Town. In terms of organized crime uh, in New England, the 70s and 80s were absolutely wild. Wild. We not only had the most stand-up crew, we had the toughest fucking crew, and we had the best crew. And we're all innocent. I spot the car. The tilting casts are gone. But the car is steaming up on the inside. Baz Majors in the back seat with nine bullet holes in it. I made a choice. My favorite word is choices. It should be everybody's in this fucking world. You make it, you own it. You reap the benefits, suffer the consequences. You made the choice. I remember watching Jared run across the street in a diaper to my house and get yelled at by his mother, you know what I mean? This is Billy Samos, Jared Tillinghast's best friend. They grew up together. But I would be the only one to go to his house and hang with them. No one else would go there. See, Jared's mother was struggling with addiction, and Jared's father, Jerry, was in prison. And he knew he couldn't be there to raise his son. So Jerry called Billy's father. He flat out told him, would you mind if my son comes and lives with you? I know if he lives with you, he's going to get an education, he's going to play sports, and he's going to have a better life. So my father said, yes, of course. So that's how he ended up moving in with us. Now Jared had nightly dinners, curfews, a reliable support system. But life was far from normal. Every weekend, he went to see his dad in prison. I always have these memories of the visiting room. The difficult part of the, the whole visits were the end, leaving. You know, you could walk your family to the yellow line on the floor. Jerry couldn't cross that yellow line. And Jared would stand there, watching his father head back to his cell. You know, I, I, I didn't understand when I was young. And uh, the thought of that moment coming at the end, you know, it affected me, it affected me. And according to Billy, by the time Jared was a teenager, he had found a way to express his feelings. Like the time Billy and Jared were at the River Cafe when a guy asked Jared for a light. He goes, yeah, I got a light. And he sticks his left hand in his pocket, comes out with a left hook, hits the kid with a shot that would knock out Mike Tyson. And that time at a pool hall. So I went, oh my God, Jared hammers him with the other half of the pool stick. And that night at the dive bar. He goes to reach for the keys, lays them out cold, then helps the guy up and buys him a drink and walks out. And word got back to Jerry in prison. I said, Jared, you know, if you're going to fight, don't fight on the street. Fight for nothing. Why? Because I went through that. It didn't add up too much, you know? Go in the ring, make money. Most of the guys that came to me were from the tough areas of the town. But this is so different. Precision, condition, accuracy, thinking, direction, you know? 
This is Peter Manfredo. He's a well-known boxing trainer in Rhode Island. And when Jared walked through the doors of his gym, Peter saw potential. Jared's best punch was his left hook. I mean, he did it in the street, and he put you to sleep with it. I started training right away. I was there five days a week, every night. It was everything to me. For a fighter like Jared, the first step was the Golden Gloves, a renowned amateur boxing tournament. I never trained so hard for something in my life. He was just 16. I had a little Pepe Le Pew mustache. You know the mustache, your first mustache that you don't want to shave? <laughs> and although his dad couldn't be there, Jared kept him close. I kind of, you know, cut one of the pictures out of dad and I took it with me and I would hang it up in the locker room and he was there in spirit. Welcome to the PAL Hall in Fall River, an exciting night of boxing. So my first week, I fought this Italian kid and uh, man, was I tired. Holy shit. Jared won a narrow decision. He cruised through his next fight and then shocked everyone by making it to the 156-pound novice title bout. Welcome back to the PAL Hall in Fall River. Fight number eight, John Kimborough of Grundy's Gym in Central Falls. He's the guy taking the beating right now against the ropes. Throwing all the punches, Jared Tillinghast of Manfred's Gym in Providence, Rhode Island. I just started winging bombs at him and winging hooks. It was an all-out rumble. Tillinghast with a solid left. I had him up against the back rope. Tillinghast hits oh. Kimborough with a hard left. I hit him with like six, seven left hooks in a row. The final bell rang, and the decision went to the judges. The winner, in the red corner, Jared Tillinghast. Tillinghast takes down John Kimborough in a shocker. Let's go ringside with champion Tillinghast. You know, I was expecting a tough fight when I came in. I trained hard for him this week, you know. I expected, I knew he was going to be one of the toughest fighters to face. So, you know, I, everything besides that worked out all right for him. Wow. Wow. It was, uh, all the pain went away for a few minutes. And that, to me, was the beginning of something great for me. Over the next five years, Jared fought in more than 50 amateur bouts and earned 17 Golden Gloves titles. And when word spread that he might turn pro, certain people in Providence wanted a piece of the action. Chavez doing this, Chavez doing that, and he was winning his fights, and, and he was moving right along. One day, Jerry was walking the prison yard when a high-ranking wise guy approached him. He said, well, I wanted to talk to you about your son. I said, what about him? He said, well, he's a good fighter, so I'd like to get him in the art stable. I said, well, no. I said, I'll beat your fucking brains and you fuck with my kid. If I wanted my kid to be around wise guys, I'd be around me, you know? He knows what he's doing, and he's with the right people. One of the right people was this guy. Listen, you know, you know Jerry telling us this is his son fighting. This is Jimmy Birchfield Sr., one of Rhode Island's most successful boxing promoters. There were people who wanted to see him get beat because of his name. They wanted to see him get beat. And then there were the people there that would die for him and to, to win. 
it was a and is a promoter's dream. So Birchfield got Jared his first pro fight. And Jared knocked out his opponent in 12 seconds. Started doing what I did in the amateurs. Yeah. You know, started winning and knocking guys out and looking pretty doing it. And Jerry was a proud dad. He kept every news clip. I don't even think Jared knows I got him. Could you maybe read this one for us? Are you trying to test my reading skills or something? No, no, no. No. Uh, super middleweight Jared Tillinghast, 5-0 Providence, scored a unanimous decision over Ryan Woodley. It was official. Jared Tillinghast was a rising star. By the summer of 2000, he was a perfect 7-0. But then, everything changed. I was driving down on the highway with... Um, my stepfather, and uh, I was in the passenger side. It was pouring, pouring rain out. I looked in the rearview mirror and I seen a, a big truck come barreling towards the back of the car. Jared's stepsister was in the back seat. So I stuck my hand in between the seats and I put my hand on her chest to brace her for the impact. And I broke my left elbow, which was my, my left hand, my bread and butter. So I had to get some, a major surgery on my arm, which put me on the shelf. Yeah, uh, how know. long did you wind up being on the shelf? Eight years. It's a long shelf. <sighs> Why didn't you go back? You were, you had a, you know, there were others. There were other activities. <laughs> I, li- I like your, I like your, your analogy of it. Um, activities. Those activities after the break. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. Before the break... Jared Tillinghast was trying his best to step out of his father's shadow by stepping into the boxing ring. But then, sidelined by a car accident, he took a page from his father's playbook. If you go shake down a drug dealer, what's he going to do? He can't go to the police. This is retired Rhode Island State Police Detective Commander Brian Andrews. In the late 70s, drugs were everywhere. And there was a lot of cash to be had by robbing drug dealers. And of course, along the way comes Jerry Tillinghast. First, there was this one dealer. He got thrown out the window of a a hotel in New York City. And we both know who who the primary suspect was. And then, two other drug dealers who disappeared 
along with their hidden cash. No charges were brought, but the suspect was Jerry Tillinghast. And 20 years later, when Jared had all that time on his hands... I did rob drug dealers, but I never used a weapon. You know, I got two bombs, a left hook and a right hook. So if I get to put one on someone's chin, they're going to go to sleep anyway. One night, Jared got a call about a big score. And they tell me, you know, there's a guy who's got 30, 40 pounds of some really killer weed. So I'm thinking, I'll do it. Jared and his partner, Ronnie, pretending to be buyers, drove to the dealer's house with a bag of fake money. Guy lived in a basement apartment. Kid's like, you got the money? I'm like, yeah. I threw the bag on the table, and it looks like it's a stack of money. I say, you got the stuff? So he points to his closet. I go over to his closet, open the door, there's 30 green garbage bags full of some crazy killer weed. So I grabbed him and I threw him on the bed and I'm holding him by his neck, you know, and I'm telling Ronnie, grab it, grab it, get the bags. As I'm saying that, this kid reached underneath the bed and pulls the butcher knife out and sticks it into the side of my head. All of a sudden, I'm in my worst nightmare. So I grabbed the kid's hand and I bent his arm all the way back into the back of his head and I bit the tip of his finger till my teeth touched and he dropped the knife. I was pissed, he stabbed me. So I hit this kid with two left hooks and um, just broke the whole kid's face. It was like a windshield that shattered and had a zillion cracks in it. So we started running up the stairs and there's a guy coming down the stairs with a pizza, pizza delivery guy. The blood was squirting out of my head like a fountain. And I got a butcher knife in my hand with 15 green garbage bags over my shoulder. Guy drops the pizza, goes against the wall. We run right by him. They come in my house, he's got a gash in his head and he's holding like a steak knife. And I'm like, what happened, Jared? Again, Billy Samos, Jared's childhood best friend. And it wouldn't stop bleeding so much so that I thought something bad was going to happen because it was in, in the temple area. And now I'm crying. I'm like, Jared, I can't believe you did that. Now look at you. You could have died. You have this going for you. You have that going for you. Jared crying back saying, I'm sorry. I should have just been with you. I wouldn't have did it. I had like, uh, like 15 stitches deep in my ear and uh, another 25 on the outside of my ear. No, it scared me. Jared had reached another crossroads in his life. I wanted to redefine myself. I wanted to change. So I made a decision there that I was going to come back. After an eight-year layoff, Jared Tillinghast was going to attempt to return to the one place he'd found purpose, the boxing ring. When we talked about boxing, I could see his face light up. Jared's old promoter, Jimmy Birchfield. He called me and he said, I'm thinking about it. I said, Jared, when you're in the gym for 30 days, you call me and I'll come and look and I'll see how serious you are. I'm like, damn, (laughs) 
Now I gotta get up at five in the morning and, and do this whole thing all over again. So he did. I, I mean, I went hard. I was walking up hills on my hands. I had my friends holding my legs. I was doing push-ups. Every 10 steps on my hands, I would do 20 push-ups. They would walk me up and down the hill on my hands. My friends would go crazy. I'm like, push me, push me. If I drop on my face, keep pushing me. Even if I'm on my chin, scrape me up the hill and make me work. Jared was back. And so was another Tillinghast. Late this afternoon, just shy of his 61st birthday, Jerry Tillinghast was released from prison on parole. Mr. Tillinghast, can you tell us what you're thinking now? Fresh air? Oh, right now I was instructed not to make any comments, and uh, I just wanted to get in the car and go home. And Jerry wanted something else, to see his son fight for the first time. But there was a problem. My parole officer at the time said, no, I couldn't go. And uh, I said, why? Come with me. I don't care. So I want to see my kid fight. And uh, I didn't go. Jared was disappointed again. I want him to be there. But then, uh, you know, I, 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 I do what I do all the time. I went home. I watched Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump is my go-to. I mean, the three movies I always watch is Forrest Gump, Rocky Three. And I watched The Secret. Love yourself regardless of all the crazy shenanigans you pull. I got up after that. I was ready, you know. May 11, 2007. Jared Tillinghast versus Jeffrey Osborne Jr. at the Twin River Casino in Lincoln, Rhode Island. The place is packed. They shut all the lights off. They put the spotlight on me. Welcome back. And I came out to uh, the theme song from Welcome Back Harder. Welcome back. Yeah, to the same old place that we left about. And the names all changed since I've been around, you know, but the, uh, the dreams still remain. I got so fired up, I'm like, ah. <laughs> Listen to the crowd here in Lincoln, Rhode Island. Providence's Jared Tillinghast back from that long layoff. And I came out first punches of the fight. I hit him with a left hook, a lead left hook. He hit me with an overhand right and splat. My nose went all over my face. Tillinghast blood pouring from his nose. And now tasting his own blood. I started questioning myself, like, what's my name? Like, what do I do this for? Who am I? I would think about the path that I walked and, and, and the life that I had to live and the pain that I had to go through. Alcohol and the drug abuse from mom and, and, and dad not being there. I had one chance to release all that pain. Osborne with a right. Look at his legs wobbly now. Oh, he walked right into a massive right hand from Tillinghast. Those are spaghetti legs, Nick. Oh, amazing. Oh really is. Jared had spent his whole life in his father's shadow. It was the Tillinghast name that sold out his earlier fights. And Jerry's legacy 
that paved the way for criminal activity. But this night... Boxing fans, after four rounds, we have your decision. All to your winner, by unanimous decision, and still undefeated, Jared Tillinga. It was finally that I achieved something that was positive, and I did it myself. I finally had gotten my respect for being Jared Tillinghast and not Jerry's son. In Jared's next fight, he knocked out his opponent to go to 9-0. But that would be his last bout. He decided to settle down and start a family. His fighting days were over. For good. Check, check. Check, check. It's been 10 years since his comeback fight. And Jared, now 43, still stays close to the sport. A ring's been set up in a parking lot behind an Italian restaurant, and several hundred people have shown up to watch the action. There's booze, cigars, even a DJ. Welcome to Brawl for It All, an amateur boxing series that Jared founded. We settle street grudges. If you have a grudge and something ugly is about to happen, you call us and you say, listen, I want to fight my neighbor. Brawl for It All. This may be the only place in the world where you can have your rigatoni with the side of two middle-aged men trying to take each other's heads off. And someone else is here too, Jerry. He finally gets to see his son in the ring, though not as a fighter. I gotta give it to Jared, he's a good promoter. He's uh, making a good name for himself. Yeah. The two smile and laugh, but it hasn't been easy. See, a long time ago, Jerry decided that his life as a wise guy was more important than being a father to his children. There's a void, and it can't be filled because there's nothing there to fill it. You've got that emptiness and stuff. But the more we're around, the more we grow together, the more we understand each other. You're starting to feel like a normal fan. No. No, that ain't that fucking great yet. <laughs> no, it is. It is. It's not bad. We get along. We do for the most part. Crime Town is in the house. Crime Town is in the house, people. Crime Town is me, Zach Stewart Pontier, and Mark Smerling, in partnership with Gimlet Media. We're produced this week by Tim Struby, Rob Zipko, Austin Mitchell, and Christopher Eisenberg. Our senior producer is Drew Nellis. Editing by John White and Soraya Shockley. This episode of Crime Town was mixed, sound designed, and scored by Kenny Kusiak. Our title track is Run to Your Mama by Goat. 
Our credit track this week is I'm a Winner by Smoked Sugar. Original music by John Cusiak, Kenny Cusiak, Edwin, and Beanart. Our ad music is by Matthew Boll. Archival footage courtesy of WPRI, Channel 12, and Paul Morissette. Thanks to Julia Hamans, Emily Wiedemann, Tim White, our fantastic archival researcher Brennan Reese, Rita Samos, Dino Dennis, the Tillinghast family, and everybody who shared their stories with us. For a full list of credits, bonus content, and to sign up for our newsletter, visit our website at crimetownshow.com. We're hard at work on season two, and we're also going to have two more bonus episodes coming in December. So keep an eye on the feed. Alex Bloomberg is the podfather. There are some people who want to see him get beat because of his name, and then there are the people who would die for him. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thank you for calling Classic Entertainment and Sports. I mean, we help you. Can we sell out an arena? No, no, I'm talking legitimately sell out an arena. Right now, I'm sitting here with a reporter and we're doing a story on something else. But here's what I want you to think about. How many tickets did you sell? All right, listen, I got to finish up over here. Have a great weekend. Bye.